Growing Media is a proudly independent podcast produced by me, Michael Hall, with zero corporate or network interference in our content. But this means we are running on the smell of an oily rag over here. So if you like the show and would like to make a small contribution, you could head over to our Patreon. You can find the link in our show notes. The producers of Growing Media recognise the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. G'day and welcome to the show. I am your host, Michael Hoare, and my guest today is a rising star from the world of permaculture, working as a designer, creating amazing permaculture gardens for urban and rural spaces. She's an author and television presenter, best known for her regular guest segments on ABC's Gardening Australia. Please welcome Goat Mum and educational tea towel designer from the Good Life Permaculture, Hannah Maloney. How you doing, Hello. Hannah? Oh, good morning. That was a great introduction. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Hope you don't mind being referred to as a goat mum. Oh, I'm honoured. <laughs> oh, good. How are the little goats anyway? Oh, they're beautiful. I, every day, you know, I milk them every morning and I feed them every night. But I, I'm sitting in my garden office and I can look out the window. I can just admire them sun baking on their little deck. Oh, cute. So, you know, they're going pretty well, I think. <laughs> Amazing. So I suppose before we dive too much deeper, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about where you grew up and um, where you kind of found your love of gardening? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Meenjin in Brisbane um, in West End. So it's very much inner city environment. And my dad ran a herb nursery just in a quarter acre block where we lived um, so we grew up in that herb nursery environment, if you like. And um, when we were around, when I was around 12, I think my mum and dad bought the neighbouring property. So dad expanded the herb nursery into that garden. And then my grandmother moved across the road and he expanded into her garden. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up with maybe around half an acre of herb nursery in the middle of the city. So yeah, it was, you know, at the time it's very normal. That's just what our reality was. But um, looking back, I can see um, it was a little bit odd and I can appreciate the effort that they went to to craft this different type of lifestyle amongst the big city. Well, yeah. that's right. Not a lot of people would be would have been living that way, kind of growing up uh, when you did. Um, yeah. Hopefully, I think that that's changing a little bit. But how did you end up in Tasmania? Oh, good question. So... When I was, I, I was growing up, I always wanted to travel and I really wanted to travel Australia. So as soon as I was able, when I was 18, I just um, packed my bags and hit the road. You're out. And I spent, um, yeah, yeah, I'd never went back. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I I chose to, instead of going to university, I chose to kind of go on a self-directed learning adventure, which yeah. um, took me to lots of different places in Australia and was very much centred around learning around social and environmental justice issues of, of the times. Um, so, you know, I went to Woomera Detention Centre, lots of forest blockades across Victoria, Tasmania, and lots wow. of sustainability activist gatherings and training um, conferences and really just threw myself in because I really wanted to learn about everything. Um, and this was before the internet was really accessible, so mm. um, around 20 years ago, I guess. Um, and the best way to learn this kind of stuff is just to go and experience it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> um, so that was that was very much my my um, unofficial university degree. 
perfect. No better way really than like hands-on experience. Yeah. And in that process, I first came to Tasmania actually on a, a little break to ride my bike around um, with an old friend and ended up staying for around a year helping with forest blockades and always wanted to come back. Mm. Well, this, this place is incredible. Um, and I was fortunate to live in a few other different great places um, um, before I ended up moving back. And yeah, you know, I've been, I've done a few little stints on the mainland, but otherwise we've been settled back here for around nine years now and have no desire to be anywhere else. <laughs> Fantastic. So I suppose then through that work that you were doing or your self kind of taught university degree, that's how you would have found permaculture then. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, growing up in a herb nursery in West End, which is quite an alternative um, community back, back then, yeah. um, like we, I'd always always heard about permaculture. My dad had a few books on the bookshelf, but I didn't really. I was like, oh yeah, whatever. So that's like another type of organic gardening. Cool, good on them. <laughs> 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 but then when I was travelling, when I was eighteen, I was really fortunate um, to meet Anne Marie and Graham Bookman, uh, who run the Food Forest Farm in South Australia, mm. maybe one hour north of Adelaide, and. I just went, I was like, oh, permaculture. <laughs> <laughs> it all like clicked. The, yeah, the, um, it's obviously around landscape management, but it's so much more than that. So it's a, it's a holistic design framework you can apply to anything from building design to governance, economics, finance, uh, culture and education and more. And Anne-Marie and Graham are also just exceptionally generous and kind human beings. So they really um, just really graciously stepped me through things informally. Like we did a bit of work on their farm um, in the pistachio orchards and I was able to see that uh, this was not just uh, not just a job but as a lifestyle and it's incredibly proactive and positive form of activism to countering some of the big issues of our times, including the climate emergency. Um, so once I met them, I was like, oh, this, this is amazing. Um, and very much latched onto it, uh, amongst other things in my life at that time. Yeah. Mm. So, quickly going back to your your dad's uh, herb nursery, um, mm. did he run that as a permaculture system? Ah, uh, no, he would never call himself a permaculturalist. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a lot of things that would align easily. But he never trained in that. Um, he comes from a really uh, conventional agricultural trained background, yeah. but it's very much um, aligned with chemical-free gardening. Um, so it was – looking back now, I can see that there was an incredible elements of permaculture in action. And, and like millions of people all around the world, they're doing elements or lots of permaculture, but they don't call it permaculture because it's, that's not how they've learned it or identify with it. And well, that's right. Yeah, I don't mind. I'm like, great, just do it. Just do <laughs> I'm, it I'm how it's it. <laughs> Well, I think the great thing about permaculture is that in a practical gardening sense, it actually just makes the most sense to do it that yeah. way. Yeah, and I must um, quote David Holmgren, who's co-originator. He, yes. he, um, he says, permaculture is the common sense that's just not so common anymore. Um, that is a good that, quote. It makes a lot of sense to me. Like, yeah, because, um, you know, they build on First Nations knowledge from all around the world. The other co-originator is Bill Mollison. Mm. Um, and they really acknowledge that the practical um, techniques and methods that you'll see in permaculture, you'll find in lots of different culture, um, cultures across the world because that's the common sense that makes sense about how you manage water or how you build soil health or how you grow trees really well, like, these things um, are age old. You know, they've been around for millennia. 
Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, so this term permaculture is like fairly recent yeah. in the lexicon, mm. but the practices have been going back thousands and thousands of years, really yeah. since to, to the start of farming and agriculture. Absolutely. Yeah, and and permaculture, um, Bill and David, their beautiful, amazing contribution is that they've got this very tidy design framework around it, which brings together a lot of things which were um, not lining up in a design culture that Mm. we live in. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I suppose, what are some of the myths or mistruths about permaculture that should be dispelled? Oh, okay. Well, I've already mentioned one that it's um, yeah. only about gardening or uh, farming. So it's about everything. And so it's a very holistic approach to redesigning our whole world, really, to be one that's um, abundant and just and fair for everybody. Mm. Um, another big uh, myth is that permaculture is really messy um, <laughs> in the garden and um, but yeah, there's chaos everywhere. The old chop and drop and all of that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, just throw some seeds down the ground and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, you know, it, it, permaculture can be messy if that's what you want to create, but um, I'm all about straight lines and efficiency and, you know, within that, within that um, I have beautiful food forests which will look quite um, semi-wild, if you like, but they were very, very planned and very strategic. Consciously um, planned, Con- conscious wilding, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, permaculture gardens can be um, straight lines. They can be, you know, curvaceous spirals, a, a combination of everything. So aesthetics is very much come, can be coming into it. So that's a personal choice. Mm. And so people go, oh, I love permaculture, but I just really love my straight garden bits. I'm like, cool, just keep them and diversify what's happening within them. And Add to, yeah. Soil. yeah. So how do you, so you said you're all about uh, kind of straight lines. Does that follow through right into your designs as well for other people? Oh, no. no? I, I think as every designer will understand is when you're designing for other people, it's not about you, it's True. about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so a lot of my work is listening and understanding what the wonderful clients need and what they're looking for. Mm. Um, and then, of course, what can the landscape actually do is the other critically important element. Um, so, yeah, the, every every property I design um, I love. And often I go, wow, I would never do this for myself, but it's so perfect for you and for this uh, landscape. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and that's a real joy to take myself away from me. I love thinking about other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose you, so. your business is Good Life Permaculture, run with your partner, Anton Wickstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as we've been talking about, it's a design house. When you're designing for a client, how much um, effort on your part goes into educating them about permaculture? Obviously, if they're coming to you with a... Uh, an idea that they want a permaculture garden. How do you make sure that they have the tools to actually be able to create that for themselves? Yeah, it's a really good point. So usually by the time people find me, they've already been researching a bit about permaculture or they've been trying some things out. So there's, like, it's very, very rare for me to take on a client who has zero experience or zero knowledge. Mm. Um, and I, And that's just from... I think that's the way how we present things through our website and how we communicate. So people go, yeah, we can help you. Uh, but we don't, we don't teach people how to grow food, for example. Yeah. We, um, we, that's that's their um, skill set to take care of. Um, I guess we 
also, we saying all that, we do definitely make sure we go, we're permaculture designers, which means A, B and C. Um, and so people, they can, we can have a beautiful meeting point with skills coming together. And we also have a wonderful collection of contractors we collaborate with as needed who are trained in permaculture or very, very, very aligned. And that's everything from um, excavator drivers to landscape um, builders and mm. uh, landscaping. So we have a great team around us. So we go, okay, this client really needs help on um, earthworks. And so we bring in Tim and he can help either do that or um, explain to them what needs to happen and step them through things accordingly. So, and, and I guess why they're doing that as well. So, oh, always. Yeah. Yeah. We no, that's a, yeah, we always make sure go, look, we're proposing this, this is a concept um, that we're proposing and this is why we're proposing it. Um, yeah. So it's not just a random thing that we're imposing on the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so congratulations. You have written a book, The Good Life, How to Grow a Better World. Now, this isn't just your ordinary gardening book, is it? No, it's actually, I don't call it a gardening book, although it does include gardening. It's, um, it's very much how to, about how to live a good life in the face of the climate emergency, which mm. we are living through. Um, so I break it down by going, look, this is how we do it in our home, in our garden, in our community. But it's also how other people do it in Australia on small and really large scales, looking at whole system change. So it's quite a um, holistic, integrated book because I really think that's the kind of thing we need to start thinking about, not not just our own gardening patches, but about our whole world. Yeah. Let's dive deep into that thought on whole system change. Uh, what does that mean? Can you break that term down for us? Yeah, sure. So it's basically about how can we not just slap Band-Aids on issues that need fixing, but actually rebuild the whole system that we live in. And so we can look at different sectors in our society, so agriculture, housing, um, finance, anything basically, and go, look, what's the, what's not working here? Why isn't it working? How can we reimagine this and um, recreate something that benefits people and planet, yeah, and mm. not just for profit, which is usually the driving force behind a lot of these things? Yes. Um, and so the good news is that uh, organisations and people are already working in fantastic uh, organisations to create these alternatives. So um, a few examples, for example, uh, in Australia, uh, like with uh, land management around fire, so we're seeing, seeing increasing wildfires, which are terrifying. Mm. Uh, the First Nations organisation called the Fire Sticks Alliance who are uh, undergoing lots of training for people um, and country fire services as well around cultural burning, which is a cool burning technique. Mm. So that's a completely different approach to fire, a, hu a hugely different relationship for white people to come to around fire and landscape management. Um, so they're, they're recreating um, a whole new system, yeah? Yeah. And that's, that's not, it's not the silver bullet. You'll have to have other things alongside that, but it is a significant shift in behaviour, but also in mentality towards fire and landscape. Um, so you can go to every single sector in our world and go, okay, how can we reimagine this? And the wonderful thing, as I mentioned, is that people have already started bringing these things into life. So what are some of those things that are already that have already come into life other than cultural burning? Let's look at our housing sector. You know, yeah. I'm from New South Wales and um, within the Sydney area, we're just getting buildings thrown up, you know, uh, no thought to kind of how to live that good life and building homes that, uh, you know, don't have don't have what we need to move forward in the future. Um, so what are some projects that you've seen um, that are working really well 
in that kind of space? Yeah, great question. So there's in when we think about inner city living, so it's very it's getting increasingly more dense, and that's by necessity, and that can be a really great thing, but it can also be not a great thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because often um, places are built, uh, you know, a bit quickly and a bit on the cheap, so they're not good quality. It's so they slapdash. Yeah, slapdash. You have to heat a lot. You have to heat them through winter to cool them through summer. Yeah. So some of that comes way back to basics around good design, which can be applied to multi-level apartments as well as single dwellings on the ground. Um, and but also, I really think in Australia we. A lot of us rent now because um, buying a property is way out of reach. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to uh, do more of things like uh, rent-to-buy models where um, renters can uh, have a long-term lease, often around five years, mm-hmm. and with the option of them buying that apartment or that uh, property at the end of that timeline. And that means that um, when apartments or homes are built as a rent-to-buy model, the the um, builders, the, the developers, build them in good quality in mind because they know they have to last, but people won't sign up to. And then, and they know them. that it's just not just not an investor coming in and saying, "Yeah, I'll take six of them," and then just renting them out until they kind yeah. of degrade in a decade's time or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a better safeguard to um, guarantee quality, but also. You're starting to look at long-term community buildings. So you go, yeah, cool, I'm here for five years, which is a long time for a renter. Yeah. <laughs> and potentially forever or a long time if I buy it. And so is everybody else in this apartment um, dwelling. And that's a really different frame of mind. Um, I've, I used to rent, I think I rented 25 houses in 10 years because oh, wow. <laughs> um, the rental market was just so insecure. And I, and I, I wouldn't even bother meeting my neighbours usually um, unless we will, um, you know, would see each other often because I'm like, why bother? I'm going to be out of here within a year yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think that could be a wonderful thing for Australian um, rental market is to actually start flipping it around and go, how can we create quality of life and quality housing? And I suppose yeah. through that sort of system as well, it'll actually help people um, take ownership of their lives and not not start thinking of their lives as sort of disposable. And, and that would actually permeate through uh, their entire life, not just their living situation. Oh yeah, so housing is like a huge number one for human dignity. Like you can't, you can't function very well in the world without secure home, um, because you're, you know, you're just worrying about where you're going to sleep the next night. Yeah. Um, so it's like a really huge foundational thing. We need good secure housing for everybody. Um, we have a big house um, homelessness crisis in Australia as well, and another great organisation. Uh, working to solve that is called Homes for Homes, um, which was originally set up by The Big Issue. And that's a wonderful system where people who are buying or selling their house, they can donate donate um, a very, very tiny percentage to Homes for Homes. And that percentage mm. goes to uh, securing good housing for people who have been previously homeless. Um, and so people with money can support people without money to access good housing. And it's a really simple model that anyone can sign up to, uh, which is low input but high output. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So, and you know, of course, there's co-housing, social housing. There's all these models in Australia, but also they're not they're flourishing more overseas. But they could be flourishing here with some leadership. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. I think 
if we had a government that was actually um, taking leadership on these matters and taking climate change more seriously as a whole, we would be in a much better state. And I think that, you know, with this whole system change um, that's a chapter in your book, I suppose that needs to come from government as well. You know, from government to compost, it really has to be that whole system <laughs> that works together uh, uh, to, as you say, grow a better world. Yeah, absolutely. So ideally, um, leadership and from become from politics, but also big industry, because those yes. two things hold a huge sway in our country, but also from um, media, um, which very much shapes um, a lot of our culture in Australia. So it'd be great to see those three things align with good ethics and values with um, climate safety in mind. Absolutely. But as you mentioned, um, Right now, that leadership is not there as much as we need it. So people are just cracking on and they're doing it, you know, and that's what I'm just trying to show. We don't have to wait for permission and we don't have to wait for somebody else to start doing these things. We need to keep pressuring them to do it because it's critically important. Um, We move away from fossil fuels and that's from Mm -hmm. biggest industry and politics. But in the meantime, let's start doing cool stuff together. (laughs) Well, that's right. And not only fossil fuels, you've actually got a few figures in your book. Uh, You know, uh, households are throwing away 3.1 million tonnes of edible food a year. Um, You know, $20 billion lost to the economy through food. It's kind of insane. And, and, you know, 25% of veg produce doesn't even leave the farm. Mm. How do we solve this? Look, it's no joke, hey, and, and it's it's multiple layers of change required, and that's from everything from um, growers to the multi, uh, big supermarket chains putting in orders for food, um, what they will and won't accept needs to change, down to people, the consumers, the eaters, that's you and me, what, what we buy, how much we buy, how much we're wasting. Um, so there's many different um, stops along the food chain that can be fixed, so that's on-farm, in the big corporate offices and in our kitchen tables as well. Mm. Um, and But the very least what we can do is only buy what you need and then if you happen to have scraps left over, compost everything. Compost, um, compost, compost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the number one things we can do in our, you know, to prevent methane gas emissions being emitted. Yeah. Um, don't send it to landfill, send it back to the earth. Yeah, yeah lovely. Growing Media is a proudly independent podcast produced by me, Michael Hawke with zero corporate or network interference in our content. But this means we are running on the smell of an oily rag over here. So if you like the show and would like to make a small contribution, you could head over to our Patreon. You can find the link in our show notes. So obviously I've been seeing you on social media getting more and more um, involved in activism as your own personal profile has, is starting to rise. Um, how, is, how important is that aspect to what you do? Yeah, it's it's good observation. It's everything for me. And um, I came to permaculture because I, I could see that like, oh, this is a really positive form of activism mm. that will nourish me and nourish other, others around me. Um, so, and I have been really, um, it's been a gradual evolution in, my, in the public arena about how I communicate that because, uh, you know, people can be put off by activism. They go, oh, yeah. that's a that's an aggressive, confrontational thing. But I'm starting to speak up more and more about it because everyone can be an activist. There's, there's different types of activism um, and there's something for everybody. So I think I want to help change that narrative to go, no, no, we can all be activists together and that can happen um, 
you know, in your office building, at your school, uh, wherever you wherever you work or living, there's a role for everybody. And so I've really just started to re-embrace that language, go, yeah, I'm, I'm an activist and I'm really proud to be one because it means I care. I really, yeah. really care. And, and, and you're helping everything. to affect change as well. Yeah. I, th- I think when when we have leaders, uh, you know, as you were talking about before, the media, when we have people in the media or, or leaders um, standing up for what they believe in, I think it becomes easier for the little guy to stand up for what they believe in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're fighting the good fight. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Yeah. No, thank you. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't think activism is easy, but I think it's um, better for us to have a crack at doing it and it is infinitely easier when we do it alongside one another and support each other knowing that we'll do it differently to the next person Mm. but that we're all connected and it's all towards the same thing do you find when you do post on social media um that you do get a bit of backlash from some of the posts yeah oh for sure (laughs) (laughs) to gardening i'm like oh actually this is a permaculture page and Permaculture is a holistic design system to creating a better world. Yeah. So um, I, I try to link that in quite clearly. Um, people don't have to follow me, obviously. You're welcome to be wherever you want to be online. Uh, my my efforts are just going towards joining the dots for people and using every opportunity, every space I, I happen to have currently to um, do good. Uh, and I think uh, the more opportunities I get is the more important it is for me to not shy away from that because mm. um, I just think why waste this time, you know. I don't know how much longer I'll be here on the earth or have these different opportunities presented to me. Like why waste this opportunity? <laughs> That's right. No, exactly. Um, yeah. You live in um, Tasmania, uh, yeah. which is a fairly long way away from where I live. Um, I'm in the Blue Mountains. But we yeah. do have climactic similarities, so I take yeah. a little bit of an um, – an interest in in Tasmania, but what are some of the um, challenges unique to your geography? Sure. So uh, we definitely have the four seasons down here quite sharply and and sometimes four seasons within one day. And so um, I happen to live in Nipaluna in Hobart on the coast, so it's a bit more moderate um, than other parts of Tassie, but um, overall it's a cool temperate environment. So it means that... um, the windows of planting are very, very important. You don't want to miss them. Yeah, yep, I feel <laughs> so, that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you miss them, you've missed the season really. So um, paying attention uh, about what has to go in when and what has to be direct sown or propagated inside, um, that's probably the biggest thing for our climate. Um, having grown up in the subtropics where you can kind of plant anything, or you know, not anything, but a lot most of the time yeah um down here I was like okay I cannot forget this <laughs> yeah yeah no I, you know it, that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned as well I grew up in far north Queensland so oh, wow. um just yeah. north of Cairns in Port Douglas area and yeah. um I yeah you same thing you know tomatoes in winter you know that type of thing yeah when I, when I moved down here I was like oh wait what like I've got to I've got to actually plan now seriously yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a lot more planning it's a good point Michael so I plan a lot more here um and then we do certain things to extend the season like we have a small cold frame which is like a mini hothouse if you like so we yeah. can grow short growing bush tomatoes and basils and eggplants in there more easily because we'll still get some frost here you know um in spring so we got to make yeah. sure we don't lose anything <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah nice um so you have a lovely big pink home and mm. i think you're on just under an acre is that right yeah around three thousand square meters yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um 
So, and you've got beautiful sweeping views. Uh, mm. What has been some of the biggest challenges on your specific block? Yeah, so our property is incredibly steep, which is um, one of the reasons why we could afford it. It was a bit of a um, what the real estate affectionately called a dud property. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no such thing. All earth is good earth, you know. It's, it's a weird concept. Um, what so makes it a we, dud, just the steep slope? Yeah, so the we didn't have – there was no driveway to access the property, so you had to okay. walk up through our neighbour's garden up a 100-metre staircase. Oh, um, okay. So it was it was a you know for the first four years we lived here that's all the access we had and we now um, have a driveway we're able to extend a different neighbour's driveway out to our place which is very helpful. Oh nice, good. <laughs> um, but without a doubt the biggest challenge is how to navigate that steepness to make it um, you know have good access easily across the slope and good productivity and good water management. Um, so we did a lot of work with uh, excavator to terrace it. And um, we couldn't, we didn't have a budget to do retaining walls. So we did large earth banks in between small flat terraces. Okay. Um, and effectively what we've done here is we've turned most of it into a perennial system. So all those earth banks and the border gardens are all perennial and a lot of it's edible as well. So, um, and then all the flat bits are uh, annual vegetables or, uh, you know, uh, some social spaces and um, a cold frame and animal systems. So the bits that we have to work on are the flat bits. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, that makes it a lot more easy for you then. Yeah, um, that's, now you can push a wheelbarrow around easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on, a, I'm on a dreadful slope as well and I'm on, you know, 1,200 uh, square metres and we don't quite have the space to be able to put in those kind of like flat areas and... Yeah, oh, it's, it's bit, really I'm tricky. Good but I think, size. Yeah, I think it's important though to do to show that you can do something on any type of landscape, but it will look wildly different. So yeah. you just have to respond to what's possible and and your own capacity and your own budget. Yeah. Well, what's your biggest success that you've had with the garden? What are your crops that you have your best kind of yield from? Or... Oh, good question. So we are just nailing carrots at the moment. I must Ooh, say. Great. <laughs> Like for multiple years, actually. And it's always a nice indicator because to get a good carrot, you need good friable uh, yeah. soil, it's good drainage. So it's always a nice indicator that, yeah, the soil's good, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, as you said, you need friable soil. Does yeah. that, but uh, with your own garden, do you dig or do you work on a no dig? Oh, yeah. So we uh, we work on a no-till system. So we yeah. don't have, like the no-dig garden is, often has the layers. We don't add layers our soil's quite good here, mm. um, but we do have a no-till gardening approach. Uh, we've both worked in market gardens, so we'll use silage tarp in between crops to um, help the any plant residue break down and to um, activate soil the soil food web. Okay. Um, and so, and we'll often, you know, we'll dress it with um, compost seasonally, and we do annual or biannual soil tests to make sure minerals are all in balance, and so we can. Um, sometimes reapply minerals as needed. Mm-hmm. But it means that we're never digging and, um, you know, turning the soil upside down. It means that once we pull a silage tarp off, we can literally plant the same day with no weed pressure, nothing. Oh, great. How good's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What kind of soil are you on? So um, we're on dolerite bedrock, so we've got heavy clay soils. Um, and so, and it's it's quite strange because we're on top of a hill, but we have quite a deep layer of topsoil from, ranging from, you know, 30 centimetres up to half a metre, which is quite good up here. Whoa. 
yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. On we were a surprised hill, yeah. as well. Is that yeah. from previous gardeners, do you think? Or Well, apparently, a long time before we got here, but apparently they used to grow berries to sell. Ah, cool. Um, which go really well in our region, yeah. Yeah, um, no. So, yeah, and I think um, – so the soil is quite good. It definitely needs a lot of organic matter and good water management. Otherwise, it will crack and dry out. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're very attentive for the soil. <laughs> <laughs> no, good. What, what were some of the minerals that you sometimes have to put into it? Oh, well, we used to do an annual application of gypsum, which is, yep. uh, helps bind the clay, clay particles together um, to make it more friable. And then we do, oh, I actually can't remember the soil report. We haven't. We haven't put anything on for around two years, but we okay. got it tested recently and they said, you don't have to put anything on. It's really good. Oh, great. <laughs> so it was all the micronutrients. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Too yeah. easy. People around Australia, thousands of people around Australia know what your garden looks like because you are a, a special guest presenter on ABC's Gardening Australia. Yay. Um, how <laughs> did you get that gig? That's a pretty amazing kind of job to have. It's so sweet. Um, they contacted me a couple of years ago and said, oh, do you want to come on just as a one-off, um, you know, guest? I'm like, of course. And that was so lovely. So they did like a little um, story about us and where we live and what we do. And then they, um, you know, I worked really hard and made sure I was really nice to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you then, suck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a long-time fan. <laughs> but then um, they... No, look, look, seriously, it was just their, um, their decision. They decided to invite me back as a guest presenter. Um, so I looked to do a series of these six stories and then it just rolled on from there. So, um, so how many years have you been doing it now? Three or four? I think, no, I think we're uh, maybe into the third year. Third year. Um, yeah. So, um, but, so I'm, I'm a sporadic guest presenter amongst other guest presenters, but I'm so, so privileged and stoked and humbled to be there because um they're a wonderful team of people and so respected. So it's a really, it's a really special thing for me to be involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's been your kind of best, your your favourite story that you've done? Oh well, um, I can tell you the most popular one is around a chicken feeder I made. Oh yeah. To this day, I still get emails from Denmark or Africa going, I've just made a new York chicken feeder. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, how good. <laughs> I love that because it's the simple things that are really, you know, anyone can make because if I can make it, then anyone can make it. I'm not that great at building stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's I love being able to make information accessible and available to a lot of different people, no matter where they are. And I will say, I think that's what uh, your segments really bring to the show is um, – I always kind of go, oh, what is she going to be doing this week? It's always something very practical yeah. and it's always something very interesting that a lot of other people don't do or, you know, don't know that they want to do until they watch it. Yeah, that's, I think that's the thing. Like find what, um, you know, find what resonates with people and what people connect can connect with and what's really accessible for people to jump on, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for doing the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. No worries. Do what you love, live the good life, enact whole system change to grow a better world. Pick up The Good Life. 
How to Grow a Better World by Hannah Maloney, a great read to enact real practical steps to combat the climate crisis. You can find out more about Hannah at her website, goodlifepermaculture.com.au and goodlife underscore permaculture on Instagram. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Uh, as well as that, you can find links to the organisations Fire Sticks Alliance and Homes for Homes that Hannah mentioned today. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It has been a great show. Uh, I know we got a little bit off topic, but hey, it's probably going to happen more. You can follow the pod at Growing Media Oz on Instagram, and I'm Michael Hoare, M Y K A L H O A R E. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It'd mean the world to me if you could also tell two of your best buds. I, I just want to get the word out there. Hooroo! See you in a fortnight.